This is Agri-Futures On Air, brought to you by Agri-Futures Australia, driving innovation in Australian agriculture. Agricultural development in Northern Australia is full of opportunity for growth. And because of that, it's today's young people who will shape that future development and will have a tremendous impact on what agriculture in the far north looks like in 20 years from now. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. So it's vital, I think, for all Australians to listen to what the people who will be industry leaders in 10 years' time have to say right now about ag in the top end. And so I'm really pleased to have joining me today Rebecca Ash and Paris Capel, two Horizon Scholars currently undertaking their degrees and who both attended the recent Northern Australia Food Futures Conference in Darwin. Now that conference plays an important role showcasing opportunities, influencing policy creation and attracting investment to the North. So welcome Rebecca and Paris. Pleased to be here, Chris. Thank you for having us. Paris, what were your overall thoughts on the Food Futures Conference? What did you take away from it, do you think? Yeah, I think going up to the conference, I wasn't really sure what to expect. So I sort of came in with an open mind for what might be delivered. But I was really blown away by just the the amount of thought that went into delivering the conference. There were obviously industry leaders who had put a lot of thought into the content. So from from the main conference uh, lectures to the small work, hands-on workshops and field trips, I found it just a really valuable learning experience and a great introduction to Northern agriculture. What I really took away was the amount of opportunity that there is up north and just the amount of thought that's really going into making sure we just don't copy and paste what we've done down south and just really recognising that agriculture in the north is really unique. It's a different environment, different set of biosecurity risks, different social ecosystems. So, yeah, I really just took away that there's pretty much anything that you want to have a go at. There's definitely room for and opportunities for people to go and have a go. They're great observations and uh, you've picked out two of the points that I want to sort of delve into a bit more deeply a little bit later on. But, Rebecca, what about you? What were some of the key things you took away? Look, I had some very similar takeaways to Paris. I think one of the major things for me was that in Northern Australia, there is just so much potential. I think potential was sort of the buzzword for the conference. And there's a lot still to happen in terms of research that's already been done by farmers and as well social ecosystems and the uniqueness of the North is definitely an important aspect of agricultural development for the future because we can't just copy and paste. Yeah, that copy and paste issue is one that I do want to talk about. So let's talk about it now. How different is northern agriculture looking compared to the south? What's so different about it? I would say that the variability is just so incredibly different to what we experience in say New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania, you have this wet season where you get up metres of rainfall and then a dry season where you have very limited rainfall. So risk and adaptation and diversification 
is incredibly important in that area. I think because of the variability in that rainfall and as well, it's so so big northern Australia, you're going to have different land types and environmental systems. We need to be thinking about secondary income as well for northern Australia agricultural enterprises. Another big difference as well, I think, is the Indigenous population and representation in northern Australia. I think there's so much that we have to learn and gain from the Indigenous communities that we need to be tapping into more for the future. Yeah. Paris, basically I suppose what you're saying is that if uh, somebody wanted to leave the south and go up north and farm up north, they, they just can't do it the, the same way. Is that your main point? Definitely is my main point. I think there's two avenues that will probably be taken with farming up there. One is best bet and the other is diagnosis and design led by research. So I suppose best bet would just be copying and pasting what we did down south, which at best could produce maybe low-risk viable enterprises, but at its worst would replicate the soil degradation and erosion we're seeing down there and also issues with management with the Murray-Darling Basin. So it's been really encouraging to see with the Fitzroy that they've given traditional owner water allocations, and I think there's still a long way to go in building those relationships, but at least the foundations are there. And alternatively, what the CRCNA are doing with industry-led research is really important because Mm. doing diagnosis and design really involves looking at the landscape, what climate conditions are in the agroecological region and working with these variables and rather than against them. So it'll take industry-led research, it'll take producers who want to innovate, like Mick Jacoby, he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, who we met and he was really inspirational. And it'll take, yeah, building those genuine relationships so that any future development really has that free prior and informed consent with traditional owners. Look, after such an astute opening, let's tell people a little bit about yourselves. So Rebecca, what's your background, particularly in farming and what are you doing at university right now? So my background actually comes from my father. He's been in the agricultural industry, working a lot with Syrup. So I was born in North Queensland and spent a bit of time around Charters Towers. I moved to Brisbane when I was relatively young, but always went back. I also did some work on a cattle station back in Charters Towers. And when I came to finishing school, I was sort of at a bit of a crossroads. I wasn't sure whether to pursue something very academic like medicine. I was being pretty pushed into that by the school I was in. But I recognised that my true passion led in trying to find a solution to how we're going to feed our growing population sustainably. So that led me into a degree in agricultural science. I've had so many different opportunities within that degree. It's been incredible. I've spent time overseas in international development in Indonesia and Laos and across various parts of Australia, horticulture and livestock systems. And now I'm just finishing off, or I've just submitted my thesis and I'm working for a company called AgriProve, who are working in registering soil carbon projects under the Emission Reduction Fund. So that's been incredibly rewarding, being able to engage with producers pretty much every day and work on developing that aspect of agriculture. And what was your thesis on? My thesis was actually on avocados um, because everyone loves avocados. So tissue culture in avocados and pretty much to sum that up, it is going to be a cheaper, 
more productive way of producing avocado trees that can be commercialized large scale and and get all of us people who love avocados some cheaper avos for the future. Absolutely, be 100% behind that. Paris, what's your background? I know you come from, uh, as they call it, the inside country. Yeah, so I grew up in Orange, New South Wales in a really diverse agricultural region, which was great for exposing me to a lot of different enterprises. Very similar to Beck, when I went to leave school, sort of the academic push down, agriculture wasn't really considered like an option for me until I went and worked on the Weybridge for Harvest at Grain Corp, which really got me thinking about food security and the huge challenges that we're facing. So then I went to ANU and I was studying environmental science and in a bachelor of science and then got the opportunity to add on a Master of Agricultural Innovations to my degree, which I'm just starting next semester, which is really exciting. And now I also work at Soils for Life, which is a non-for-profit working on regenerating soils and landscapes and telling producers stories. What two great stories you you both have. Fantastic. Before we actually move away from yourselves and your personal stories, just tell me a little bit about what the Horizon Scholarship has meant to you both in terms of your education, helping out there. How about you first, Rebecca? So the Horizon Scholarship has honestly just been one of the best opportunities that I've had throughout my whole degree. The connections and the networking provided by AgriFutures in that scholarship are just top-notch. You can't beat it. Last year we were obviously faced with COVID and we usually do a workshop where we all come together and have some different agricultural industry leaders, but they adapted so well and we did a whole online series every Thursday night and that gave us a whole different opportunity of connecting with people overseas. So that was fantastic. And then the support to be going to different conferences now that we can is incredible. And then I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is being able to connect with people like Paris, being able to have those people to call I know in the next 10, 20 years when I need someone who's going to be doing amazing things to fall back on. Yeah, isn't it wonderful to create those uh, contacts fairly early in your careers? Paris, what did Horizon mean for you? Yeah, well, I've only been on the program for a few months and in those few months to say Horizon has been a game changer is probably an understatement. Obviously, going to the Food Futures Conference was a phenomenal experience, being able to meet people, young people like Beck, other young scholars, and also the connections to industry. You just won't ever find an opportunity to yet build the networks and make the connections like the opportunities we've been given through Horizon. I imagine uh, something like the Horizon Scholarships would also help to shape your view of what you're going to do in the future, what, is, what some of your career goals are. Uh, Rebecca, has that helped you in that way? Oh, absolutely. So another aspect of the scholarship is being able to undertake a two-week placement. Now, when I was tasked with finding out what kind of placement I'm going to do, the opportunities are endless. They basically say just find anywhere or anything that you'd be interested in and we'll probably have a have a contact and and we can ask if you can go spend two weeks there so that made me really think about okay what do I want to be doing in five years what would be some kind of dream position dream job not something you just 
search up on Seek and, and there you go, there, there's something that pays the bills. So it took me quite a while to think about what I would do and I ended up doing the placement with AgriProof who I'm now working for. So that's just one example. I know there's plenty of other scholars out there who have had a similar experience to me. I think it first exposes you to different parts of the agricultural industry that you didn't know about and secondly challenges you to critically think about where you might want to be and actually make steps to end up in that position. Uh, Paris, have you sort of formulated in your mind where you would like to take your career over the next, well, let's say just five years from now because things happen to change so quickly now? (laughs) That's right. Well, I think going to this conference was a huge step in formulating that idea. So yeah, through Horizon, I was able to meet Frank Miller, who's sort of like the father of forestry in the North, I would say. And yeah, through that connection now, I'm hoping my industry placement will be up on Tiwi working with traditional owners there, and then also going down to the Douglas Daly and working in their African mahogany plantation. What's attracted you to forestry? That's a great question. I think forestry, when I first got involved in environmental science, there's always, you know, dominant conversations in the media about the problems with native forestry. And I sort of got attracted to the amount of challenges and problem solving that's involved in the sector. And it's just one of those places where once I started inquiring, I was welcomed with open arms to organisations like the Institute of Forests Australia, which has provided me with so many opportunities. So I really, through those experiences, have come to learn so much more about the roles of trees in our landscapes. And my particular passion is agroforestry and how we integrate trees into agricultural enterprises. So up north, there is so much opportunity for that. There's so many little conversations happening around how that's going to shape up to be in the future. But yeah, like Beck said before, potential is really the buzzword. And I think, yeah, the opportunities are limitless. Yeah, exactly where I want to take it now. You did both talk about opportunity as a buzzword at the conference. So what are some of the opportunities that you see up there, Rebecca? You can be as specific or general as you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I went in there the same way as Paris with not many preformed expectational ideas of what was going to happen or what I would get out of it. But what I did establish at the very start of the conference was something like these carbon markets. Might I add, when I say soil carbon projects and carbon farming, I'm not talking about the ones that have been in the media recently where they lock up all the land. It's essentially a secondary income for people who are implementing regenerative or sustainable land management practices. But there is a large issue with not much knowledge around building soil carbon in extensive grazing systems and there hasn't been a lot of quantification of data over a a longer term and that is a barrier to people tapping into those markets in the north so going forward I think in the north that's something that we can really focus on is how can we transfer what's already happening down south up into these more extensive systems. And is that what you were referring to when you talked about a secondary income will probably be a part of agriculture in the north? That's right, yes. Paris, let's come to you. You talked about forestry as an example of an opportunity up there. Do you have a broader view of agriculture in the north at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think really at the heart of it, what I learned from the conference is development will be all about 
people and relationships. And it's hard when there's such a small population covering such a large land base up there. And in terms of attracting people up to the north, I think showing that there's lots of diversity in the industry is really important. The National Soil Strategy had only been released the week before and agricultural development, it's all about soil health. Soil is your natural resource base and as an asset, it's yeah, really is your capital. So like Beck was saying, how we build carbon in these extensive grazing systems, there's not much research on that and there's a huge potential there. I also found really interesting was the Aboriginal Land Economic Development Agency and their new project Centre Farm, which is mm-hmm. a company providing NT Aboriginal land owners ways to commercially and sustainably develop their lands. So they're currently in Ali Karang doing a horticulture project. And I think that's so important for self-determination and economic independence for communities. And they have a work experience program, which is so important for keeping kids on country. So I think there's, yeah, agriculture in the north. The more they recognise that relationships with traditional owners are really pivotal in development, I think the sooner we'll be reaching some really great outcomes. I think the rest of Australia is becoming more and more aware about the opportunities that are up Mm. there in the north. But what advice would you two have for younger people who may be thinking about it, but it's a huge step. It's a huge step to relocate such a big distance. What advice would you have for maybe put a toe in the water just to get a feel for what it's like up there? Yeah, well, I think Emma Moss at the Young Farmers Breakfast put it really perfectly. Just because you're isolated doesn't mean you're lonely. And just, yeah, rural communities up there, from what I can tell, are so welcoming for people to come up and have a go. I think that definitely a barrier for people coming up is they might have a perception that it's very similar to down south where pretty much because of land prices, you have to be a corporate farmer or a multi-generational farmer to have land where up north, even though there's lots of different complicated land tenures around freehold, pastoral land and indigenous land, there is so much opportunity for you to go and start your own enterprise and start farming with some of the new and exciting emerging industries which are going to be really dominant really soon I think so for anyone wanting to have a go there's so many opportunities up there it's just really pulling the trigger on taking the leap. Beck? Beck (laughs) yeah yeah. how how do they pull that trigger? Well I think something for example in school I had no idea that you could just go and work on a station or it doesn't have to be cattle related up there as we've already discussed there's so much going on that you can just go over there even if you don't have much knowledge or skills and go spend a year and learn so much so I think my advice to young people would be that just go for it you've got the rest of your life to live and do what you've been doing for the past years there are so many people who go there with no background in even agriculture or understanding of Northern Australia. So, yeah, I think my biggest advice would be to put your guard down and just take the leap because you won't regret it. I'm sure people wouldn't regret it. It sounds wonderful, full of opportunity and quite exciting for younger people to go up. And Tessa, and I do know uh, people who've done exactly what you've said, Rebecca, and gone up there and worked for 12 months on a cattle station Mm. and have really loved it. 
uh, guys, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed it. And all the best with your studies and your future up there in the north. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been lovely. Thank you so much, Chris. Rebecca Ash and Paris Capel. Think we're in good hands? I think so. As they talked about, Beck and Paris are recipients of the Horizon Scholarship, and you can find out more about the Horizon Scholarship on the AgriFutures website. Now, if you found Rebecca and Paris inspiring like I did, please make that choice to follow AgriFutures on air so you can listen to other equally interesting people with important messages every week. You can follow us wherever you get your music or podcasts. For instance, I use Spotify. And if you do too, then just go onto Spotify and search for AgriFutures on air and click on follow. And each new episode will be automatically put into your podcast library. But thanks for listening today. My name is Chris Brown. You've been listening to AgriFutures on air, a weekly podcast brought to you by AgriFutures Australia. Australia.